This is K-12 Tech Talk. K-12 Tech Talk. The podcast by K-12 Techs for K-12 Techs. Real conversations, real arguments, and real banter on trending K-12 technology topics and issues. Live from the somethingcool.com studios. This is the K-12 Tech Talk Podcast. This, I am Josh. With me, as always, even when he's sicker than a dog, I wish you could see his face. Mark? It's pretty bad. (laughs) Uh, Chris is not with us tonight due to a prior commitment, um, so we will take every chance we get to make fun of him. Oh, I I thought we put Chris on suspension because he screwed up the visor. Oh, that that is what happened. I didn't get that memo from HR, but you're right. I think that's right. So Chris did really screw up with Visor. Um, so for our listeners and for Visor, we apologize. We're just going to say now, Visor.cloud, V-I-Z-O-R dot C-L-O-U-D. Don't listen to Chris's last ad. Hopefully he fixes it tonight. Um, but yeah, we, we're really sorry, Visor. Visor.cloud. We're proud to have you on here as a sponsor. Listeners, go show them some love. Um, Chris really screwed up. Send us hate mail. Send Chris hate mail because, you know, you, you screwed up a, a, a sponsorship. Um, the other request that I have for listeners tonight is uh, I had an interesting conversation with, I believe it was a listener from California this week. Um, and I asked it, the, the one favor that we ask in return for doing this, well, two favors. One, visit our sponsors um, and, and listen to their sales pitches. Two, and potentially buy product. Um, two, Share this podcast with your friends, with your meeting groups. This, that's how this spreads. Uh, Chris and Mark had a wonderful time in Austin, Texas at K-12-6. Um, Mark, you just want to, we're going to talk about that in the next episode because this is part two of the um, Suheil Katal interview from LAUSD. But do you want to quickly just talk about K-12-6, Mark? Yeah, we're going to do a little deep dive in the next episode. We have an interview with Doug Levin. Uh, we're going to talk all about some of the sessions that were there. It was a really, really fun conference. It was the first one for K-12-6. So definitely a lot more to come, uh, and we'll see that on the next episode. And we might talk about Chris and Mark's relationship, like their friendship slash, you know. Yeah, we met. <laughs> they all met in perps- perp- person. Oh, my goodness. Um, okay, so... This is going to be the follow-up episode, part two, part two, however you want to say it, uh, of the interview with the CIO from LAUSD. Uh, he is a friend of of Mark's. He is a um, kind of cohort. They, you know, they're in this the secret society together. Um, Suhil Katal, he was awesome enough to let us interview him a couple weeks ago. Um, Mark, why don't if you feel well enough, tell us about episode one and kind of where we left off. Yeah, so when we left off, Suhail was giving us kind of the deep dive of what happened the night of the incident, uh, a little bit of their initial recovery. Uh, and then where we're going to start tonight is when we pick up the conversation is is going into the recovery, going into the decisions that need to be made in the days leading afterwards, the political, the, uh, the media kind of firestorm that came out as a result of it. And uh, uh, this is a really, really cool episode because it's it's just kind of a a look under the hood. Uh, and definitely, you know, when you're talking about a big organization as large as LAUSD, 
to hear about what an incident like this is like at, at that large of a scale is just fascinating. So hope you'll enjoy it. Yeah. So uh, this will close out our interview with uh, Suhil, and we really appreciate the time that he spent with us. Uh, he didn't have to do that. It, it, from everything we've seen, um, we were the first, or one of the first, if not the first, one-on-one interview that he granted about this specific topic since it has happened. So we're super appreciative of him spending time with us and, and letting us have first crack at that. Um, I know you guys talked about it down at K-12-6 in your, in your address. Uh, I think the feedback, um, there was some excitement. It seemed like the building around that, and um, that clearly shows with our listens. So, again, here we go into the interview, but share us with your friends, visit our sponsors, and hopefully Chris gets visor.cloud right at the end of the episode. Thanks for listening. So, all right, so you've got all these people in the room. This is the first 72 hours, and just to kind of paint the picture, this is Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday was Labor Day. The feds are there, and it sounds like this is great. You got the feds in there, but their strategy is not to help you get to school on Tuesday, right? Their strategy is to what? Oh, so remember, that's where you need to be able to um, manage everything yourself. Nobody's going to manage anything for you. You are doing multiple things. First, you want to prevent this incident uh, to crippling the system. At the same time, as a CIO, you are still responsible to come to operation. So people think these uh, stages of the cybersecurity response, uh, they're coming in sequence. Oh, it, you did the detection. Now you get to the response. Now you get to eradication and recovery. These are the steps you need to follow. Like the way that they show it in the chart, probably you saw this high kill. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not that. There is no <laughs> way you can hold everybody back and do something. You need to prioritize. You need to section systems based on what is top priority to what area and then sequence them to operation. So when we did the initial detection, we went when we, we start doing the eradication, we needed to prioritize the system to bring to production. One of our main priority was to be operational by the next day, which was the Tuesday morning, to be able to um, get kids to the school. The goal, this was a clear goal by our superintendent with the board. We were briefing board every three, four hours. So it wasn't like, hey, every day. So we were briefing board, we were briefing superintendent and working with the team very closely and directly. I was hands-on work for me. Uh, it was restoring the system. So um, that's why FBI and the team, they were working their work. But at the same time, we had our own team to work on the recovery uh, of critical systems. Some ways you can uh, divide and conquer, and that's the way that we tr- we decided to do. We pulled our resources from any area around that and focused on recovery. And recovery, uh, sometimes if you have a proper recovery plan, you can take some action with a modified version, especially when your system could be potentially compromised. You do a scanning against those critical systems, make sure there is no residue, there is no touch on those systems. If it is, or if uh, you're not, you don't have time to do that, you come, you activate your disaster recovery plan. You bring up the transportation, food services, um, as a school district. These are critical systems for us. We want to make sure we feed the kid. We want to make sure we transport the kid. We want to make sure we teach the kid. When you say teaching the kid, means counting the kids that they go to the school in IP function. So for me, the goal was 
Is my um, transportation system going to be up and running for the next day? Is my food services uh, going to be up and running by the next day? And uh, if my uh, student information system be able to take attendance, and ultimately if my LMS is going to be available. By the way, LMS now added to the mix post-pandemic now is a critical system. It wasn't as great. Right. Well, now it is. Therefore, you need to make sure these four systems the day of your operation are active. And we were able to successfully with the day and night working and splitting different teams to different sections uh, to restore all of those systems uh, to operation, and but in a different modified version. Remember, you're working with the ongoing investigation and incident. What was that? We made the decision to reset everybody's passport. That's a, remember, when you have a compromised system, you don't know what touched, what didn't touch. You don't want to take the risk, open a system, and ultimately somebody be able to get in. So if I'm making a rational decision to open a system in a short period of time, I need to get the, some, some type of a pre-assessed measure to protect my system. Uh, one of them was our system should not be accessible from internet. We block or we kept all internet access blocked from all of our system. Except you need to be at this school to do it. You want to reset your password? Go to your campus. You want to do this? Go to your campus. All the system was restricted from outside. And that password reset probably was uh, very impactful, uh, especially when you have that many users that we were talking about right now, have 1 million users, 1.5. By the way, I forget to say, I have my retirees in my active directory because they are receiving the, um, uh, and there are about 200 retirees in our systems that we are managing because they are accessing the retirement plan and benefits and everything else. But uh, managing the, all of those accounts, resetting their password, communicating with them, and be able to restore the services. It, That's it, Go ahead. It's, it's funny because as you're saying this, the pa- when you brought up the password reset thing, I remember reading the three of us were, were following your I think it was the Twitter account. And, and at some point you guys spun up a website where you were super transparent about what the current activities were, what the current status of systems were. And I remember reading about the password reset and the numbers, the sheer numbers of people's passwords that were reset thinking, my God, the number of calls that that is probably generating to support staff has got to be astronomical. I just couldn't imagine. It, it was, but the, you know what the good thing? Uh, one thing we learned from pandemic, and that probably is still going to stay with us for a long time until people forget about everything, uh, was we learn uh, how to work and collaborate with each other. When the incident happened, every department, every rule uh, put the support beyond, uh, behind IT. I mean, it was an IT running everything, operation, schools, field, teachers. There was no separation. And again, we little we learning this lesson during the uh, during the COVID that we need to work together. And that was the same scenario. So when we were releasing this information, really, really, I, we as an IT, we were source of the decision making. We want to do this. We want to communicate this. Um, and then communication would go out and come, obviously if there was a mistake, it would be our responsibility to make sure we correct it. And, uh, yes, there is always a glitches when you do something that fast. If I have, uh, 2 million users, want to reset the password to the same password reset portal, I need to size it properly. 
Believe it yeah. or not, you yeah. have the biggest. Yeah. yeah. So that's what. So something funny you should know. So we have the biggest SIS system. Uh, at the time, we were custom developed by us and everything else, and it's massive. The infra, this hardware that's running this system is sometimes I can say is unheard of. Number of cores, CPU, and everything. So when we when we went through this uh, password reset process, we needed a high compute, high CPU, high memory to handle the size of the password reset that is coming. We took the resources away from SIS system, we put it for password reset. Literally, it was that huge of the system to process that many password reset, reset requests. I can tell you exactly, it took me 250 CPU core and about three terabyte of memory to process. And again, these are amusing technical term, but you guys get Here it. Here he goes bragging again. <laughs> exactly. To <laughs> process the passport. <laughs> wow. Uh, three terabytes of memory. I have like six terabytes of sand storage for my entire environment. So that just blows me away. Man, that's amazing. Crazy. So, so the, the, you talked about the different systems that you had to get up and running. Transportation, food services, the LMS. And by the way, the LMS is not just a classroom tool. You have students who are fully online. So it's, there's password resets for students who are fully online and their LMS. But one thing I've always been fascinated by is there has to be this conversation between you and the department heads, transportation, for example, to say, here's the status of your system. At, at some point, I'm going to give you a go, no go, meaning you have access to your system or you don't. Can you describe a little bit about the conversations you had with department heads around you need to start to activate your contingency plans for Tuesday? Yeah. So obviously, everything runs on the clock. So when we were talking about restoring the system, it's not like, oh, two days before we um, opened the school, the system was up and running. No, literally like by minutes by minutes, we were counting time to do the stress test, load test, activate the system, do the scanning, and everything else that goes with it. And at the same time, um, have the transportation team to access to their system so they can put the route, put the student roster, and everything else to be able to activate it. So it was a constant communication and release of information to individual departments. We were releasing data uh, information every two or three hours. There was information, actually, I was even sending to superintendent every 15 minutes, literally every 15 minutes. So the, the communication was very rapid and very current because if your information wouldn't get to them on time, it has no value. The information for yesterday, it's out of date. It's like a six months old information when you are in the middle of rapid recovery. Therefore, those information was, for example, we were tracking password reset. Why was important? Because the field and the uh, principal, they were all engaged to make sure the kids get their password reset. So what did we do? We said, okay, we divide the, again, divide and conquer is strategy. If it's an elementary student, it is hard for an elementary student to reset the password, but it is uh, simpler for a secondary student to reset the password. What did we say? We said, if you are a secondary student, we send you to the portal directly to reset the password, job eight, everything was sent, schools communicated, we communicated, we put it in so many different ways for the school to get access that one way. One thing we didn't do, uh, as much as we were transparent in our communication, what are we doing? We didn't, uh, we didn't put it in Twitter or public forum, which we could to yeah. tell, oh, how are we doing? 
Yeah. We never said publicly that we closed our network except to internal this tool. Why you wouldn't say that? Because the bad actor reads your Twitter the same way that you're reading. So you don't want to over-communicate it. Right. You want to communicate enough to get to the user. The transparency was mostly and was about what we are doing, but not how we are doing it. And that's where we uh, separate the communication criteria. But to continue what I was saying, separating the elementary from uh, or uh, from secondary was crucial because the secondary day we set the password through the portal. Elementary kit, we did the password set because we want the goal was mitigate the situation. If the bad actor has access to the password of somebody, it doesn't repeat the same incident again. So what we did, we set the password, but we give them longer period of time for teacher to work with the kid to reset the password rather than watch them. So the yep. first of the instruction still started with the new password. There was no old password when we did it because the password was set by us and sent to the teacher to help the student log in. When they logged in, in the first day of instruction, the teacher was able to help the student to reset the password. We preset password that we can figure for them. It is very important to you know this mechanic around it to mitigate otherwise later on it's gonna bite you. And probably that's some of the key areas people need to pay attention. Remember I told you K-12 is, and you know it, K-12 is different than anybody else. When I'm doing the password policy or anything else, some of those uh, need to be different when you deal with the elementary kids. Yeah. Yeah. So at, at, at one point uh, through this process, were you making a decision or or was it from the beginning you're saying we're not going to close school? Were, was there ever a point during the weekend where you had to make a decision, sit down with the superintendent and say, it's a go, no go for school on Tuesday? It was my decision. It was my decision. I was oh, asked. Oh, God. I was asked, <laughs> can we open this school on Tuesday? And I couldn't say no. <laughs> Literally, I couldn't say no. I could, uh, if I wanted to take it easy and take the pressure off the team and everybody else, probably I could have said no and delayed the uh, opening of the school. But the impact of the school district in our side and the disruption that can create on the city, it was massive that we couldn't afford that. Um, it, it was crucial for me to commit and deliver what I promised. I promise I'm going to open this school. My kid goes to the same school. Yeah. So I want the kids to learn and then nowhere. Uh, and at the same time, I, I hate to say this, but you want to say uh, that you are not get played by the bad actor and criminal that easily. Yeah. You work, you work hard and you respond hard. And at the same time, you can recover the system on time. Wow. Well, and I think if you look at it from a, a humanitarian standpoint too, you know, and we learned this during COVID, a lot of students receive, or the only place a student really gets a good meal is at school in some yep. cases. So if you're, that had to play in a huge factor in whether or not you could open that Tuesday is if we don't open, how many of our students aren't going to have a decent meal on Tuesday because we're not, we're not providing that meal for them. Um, well, I'm sure that was a huge factor of that too. It was. You're right. During the pandemic, that was a, uh, that was a, one of, and you know that LA is, uh, in Los Angeles Unified, we are not about 85 to 90% free reuse, which that tells you how many low income kids go to our schools. Right. So in, that's, uh, easy to uh, make the decision like that. I'm not going to open this schools. 
Right. So it, it's hard to believe that we've only, we've been talking for about 45 minutes and we're only up to day three or day four in your, in your response. So now let's talk about Tuesday school opens and you now have to make sure that school opens safely and continue to with your, with your work. What's going on now? So, um, that's part of the, the key, obviously you bring the key systems up, you know, they are available. You need to keep them up <laughs> at the same time. And as you're working through the rest of your system, in L in LNUSC, we have about 200 applications and prioritizing those applications, depending on the sensitivity about those applications become critical. One thing you're probably going to learn, there are some compliance systems, like you need to send some report to this state, something here and there, and they have like a deadline. You need to send this by such a date. You need to send that by such yep. a date. Run your payroll. You need to do this. You need to do that. And that's become important. Why? Because uh, in, to some extent, you can get the exemption from your state. And we were in that such a situation because, every, again, it was a big incident. Um, and it was publicly communicated and feds, everybody, the white house and everybody, they were engaged and helping us. Um, and at the same time, it communicated with the state, we need an exemption from those requirements to be able to really secure our system, to be able to generate those reports. So, uh, it was important. Uh, some of the, those decisions was made to prioritize this system, the system based on compliance, based on need, based on priorities to gradually be. So there are different priorities. Usually you say, okay, tier one system, critical, bring it up. The rest of the system, if you look at, uh, through disaster recovery plan, most of the time you don't see clear definition. What are those systems and the priorities that they need to come up? And I think that's become important. People usually ignore the tier two system priority, but it is important. It's not as important tier one. It's not going to prevent you to open your school, but it's going to be your headache post-production because right. you need to be uh, ringing them on time, but you need to know which one first. And that was a part of our process. And we were able to actually, as a result of that, develop a proper business continuity plan per department. I'm not talking about IT business continuity plan. I'm talking about the departmental business continuity plan to be able to have an updated access to their technology at the time that they. Hmm. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, we've heard your responsibility and, and you were, you were making a lot of the decisions. Um, but I'm, I'm sure there were still some things that the superintendent had to handle or the, you know, give interviews, make decisions, make certain calls. Um, can you talk a little bit about his response to the situation, his support for you and your team, um, buying pizza, if he bought pizza a night or two, um, you know, that, that kind of, that kind of discussion around that. So uh, definitely the main decision making on all of this, uh, especially when you look at the impact of the school and incident ultimately was to superintendent. Yes. He may ask my opinion, do we need to open the school or not? Ultimately, it was his decision, should we open this school or not? It was my opinion that I'm going to make it ready. He relied, he trusted me that I can bring it up, and I deliver. Uh, the rest of it was his decision. Are we operationally ready to open this school? After what happened, what we went through, how the schools, the students, they're going to fill in the classroom and everything else. And that was a critical decision. I think that was one of the most important decisions that he made. Secondly, uh, I think from the day one, uh, he confirmed and he committed 
is not gonna negotiate with the uh, with the bad actors. We never uh, negotiated with them to pay the ransom or anything that they were requesting. They were requesting. We never said even how much. We never said we uh, that we're gonna pay them or anything else. And uh, in his word, uh, and I repeat uh, his word, make sure you always know what are your uh, risks with them. So try to find out what they have. Because when you get talking about the data exfiltration, um, in that short period of time, you may have some data, uh, some information, some logs, knowing what they may have had access. But reality, you don't know until you get that, uh, you get something from them. And that's, there's nothing wrong with it, but do not negotiate with them because technically they may give you a promise. They may give you your data. They may give you everything that uh, you want if you pay them the ransom, but they still have access to your data. They're bad actors. just like they have another copy. They publish it. They sell it. Right. On the market. They do everything. So uh, that was a recommendation from uh, FBI as well, that essentially negotiating with the bad actor is not the wise choice. Although this bad actor, apparently I didn't know that FBI uh, confirmed for me, they usually deliver on their promise in their website. They publish then your name and they call you partner if you pay them and they don't release your information, but your name is going to be there. To me, that's worse than if they publish my data, if they call me a partner. In sure. The so technically your organization pay them. They publish your name. They don't release your data. They call you partner. If you don't pay them, they just release your data and they name you over there. So I, again, uh, for us, the risk of the data was minimal. Uh, I, I believe, uh, or hardly believe, depending on the risk and whatever it was, we would never pay the ransom. Uh, and we would never negotiate with the hard, uh, with this type of a criminal. And that was one of the decisions the superintendent made from day one to not to negotiate, not to pay the ransom. And he's, uh, he stood by it. Now, it are, so there's, there's a threat actor who's, who's communicating things to you. Are you communicating? Is the FBI communicating? I mean, who is, who's taking care of that side of the, the situation? You don't deal with that. Uh, usually, uh, any type of analysis about the bad actor goes back to your insurance company. Uh, they have expert. They know how to deal with it. Do not engage. That's what I'm saying. I repeat, do not engage with the bad actor because technically that may backfire politically. It may backfire security-wise and everything else. Leave it up to the expert. They know what's your risk. Obviously, they ask you uh, if what's your risk tolerance. And for us, the risk tolerance was we're not going to pay. Wow. And uh, <laughs> you can see me as a CIO when superintendent tells I'm not going to pay the ransomware. It's a good thing. I'm proud of him and I, his decision, but it made my job more difficult. means I need to recover the system no matter what. There is no alternative. I'm not going right. to be able to right. have a champion coming and saving me. I need to save, restore, bring up the system. And and I think you you alluded to this earlier though. Even though most most of these threat actors, if you pay them on the idea that you're going to get a decryption key, sometimes that decryption key doesn't work. Sometimes it does work. So you're you know you're fifty fifty shot there. And then there's the double extortion of we're going to release your data. Okay, if you pay them again, 
that still really doesn't mean they're not going to post your data. They still could post your data. So, I mean, his his stance of we're not going to pay, to me, it makes sense. If, if, you, if you weigh that risk, now, again, depending on what kind of data they have, but if you weigh that risk, I you know, it's, yep. it's not a guaranteed conclusion, you know? True. And and exactly that. You again, it's a criminal. You uh, you cannot exactly. Um, you cannot trust. You don't mm-hmm. you never know what you're gonna get. Um, and again, with the decryption key and everything else. Again, the, the and by the way, nowadays you mostly deal with the double extortion because most of the ras I assume most of the ransomware attempts are failing because every everybody learned the lesson. Keep your backup, man. Keep your backup. Don't worry about this. That's why they go with the data exfiltration, and that's where it's beginning become tricky. How fast you can get this data exfiltration? How can you stop them from continuing? And that, as early as you can detect it, is would be crucial for the decision making around it. Uh, which goes back to uh, what's your post recovery plan? What's your, um, for example, for us, uh, it was implementing a security operation center. We had network operation center that was monitoring our network, but we never had the security operations, which would be the result of this incident as part of a recommendation that came out of our IT uh, IT security task force. Okay, so you just hit on it. One of the changes that you've made since the incident is is a security operations center. Um, can you give us an idea of? Uh, some of the other changes that you guys have put in place post-incident to improve either operationally. I, I mean, I know you probably can't get into what you've changed for security posture-wise, but well, what are some of those those small tweaks that you've made operationally maybe that could enhance a future incident? Sure. Um, I think it is important, um, going back to the incident, I think it was in the first week of incident, uh, when superintendent gave his first, uh, briefing to the public and to the board and everybody that he announced that he's going to have a 90 days plan. And that 90 days plan goal was not only address things in the, and mitigate, mitigate the current situation, but lay, uh, the pathway for us to build the most uh, secure and reliable um, IT infrastructure in the K-12 industry across the nation. That was our goal, our commitment, to essentially come up with the recommendation to build this as the model that everybody else can take advantage. That's where a conversation with White House started because White House wanted to develop a model for others' education entities. And... uh, same, the conversation expanded to CISA. CISA is the architect for this security architecture across the government and private sector. So uh, what we did, uh, we created the very rapid task force. We call it IT security task force. That their their function was, they're just going to come for 90 days. The people that they were invited to be part of that task force, probably in a school district like us, or like yours or anybody else, they're not going to be able to afford to pay the salary of these people. I named them for you. There were people from uh, Wells Fargo, uh, chief level. Uh, There were people from uh, Intel, chief level. There were people from, from, uh, I would say, um, Microsoft and other areas, Apple. Uh, Again, not the business side, 
Don't look at the business side because business sides always they try to sell you stuff. Stay away from them. One that and when you deal with the task force, you want operation side. What when I'm uh, uh, when I'm saying when I have a CISO from uh, let's say Apple is not nothing to do with the government sales or anything else. These are the people they're protecting Apple IT right. department or the right. Apple employees from bad actors or same uh, other areas. So these were the, um, even we got the resources from a uh, uh, retired general that was working with the Air Force Cyber Command. So these people with a lot of experience in the cyber industry, that they are more advanced than K through 12. We know that K through 12 in cybersecurity, we are behind the rest of the industry. Even in IT, forget about security. Um, I believe one of our analysis showed the K, the education sector, um, the uh, the entire budget of the IT department in the education sector was um, about five to ten percent of the entire organization budget. Believe it or not, our entire spending—I'm not talking department budget, buying devices, the school buying technology, everything—we summarized it. We were two point five percent. So the, the reality wow. below industry average when we talk about because K twelve literally they dwarf us on the spending and this type of technology. So when you don't have those investing plan, you're relying on the resources that you have. The goal of that task force was to make a recommendation um, and review our strategies, what we have, what we implemented, the audit, the pen test, the incident that happened. And uh, based on that, they make a recommendation for course correction. And those are the ones, right now, we, are, uh, we build a three years plan. Actually, it's a four-year plan. The goal is to implement it in three years. Um, the three years plan to revamp the security infrastructure and footprint of the LAUSD to become the, uh, one of the most secure and reliable infrastructure in the country. So from an outcome standpoint, okay, you, you've done this 90-day task force with these CISOs and, and other chief-level um, operational folks from from major industry. Um, you have your report now. Are you going to be a good, and this is selfish, I'm just going to say this is purely selfish on my part. Um, are you, is LA willing to be a good neighbor in in your work with the, the White House and CISA? Um, will you guys uh, publish maybe confidentially to, to K-12s a framework that that we can follow that okay here here's kind of a checklist of things that you need to be thinking about this is these are the the higher priority items that you need to be addressing as soon as possible but this needs to be on your roadmap as well um is the plan for you guys to be kind of a good neighbor in that method do you know uh, that's actually one of the things in part of our three years plan. Um, and actually that was one of the asks from the White House and from actually the um, from uh, Cyber Command as well, that we need to educate other uh, K-12. And literally there was a discussion about traveling, going to different school district, sharing our experience and everything. Going There's on a, a podcast, right? Yeah. Ah, doing Did the you podcast. think... 
<laughs> Did you think he was going to say, no, we're going to be a bad neighbor, Josh? Well, uh, I mean, I figured I'd ask the question. Just in YTI, I will be there. What, what number did you call at the White House? Maybe we can start there. Is there a phone number? Did you <laughs> yeah, just call yeah. the it's general phone, I bet. line? Yeah, he, they, he's got a red phone on his desk. We can't see it in the <laughs> picture, but there's a red phone that he picks up. Yeah. You would, uh, I guarantee you, you contact your OGR, uh, uh, Office of Government Relations. They have all of those phone number for you to be able to expedite the calls. Yes. But definitely the superintendent always uh, have an escalation access to the Department of Education. And from there, you get to the White House. So that's the easiest way to tell you how to get to the White House. Now, now one thing I think you haven't mentioned here is that your superintendent, as, as helpful as he's been, he, he's been on the job for a month, two months, maybe at the time. Yeah, uh, he came. Yeah, he was maybe about yeah. Uh, hold on, no five, probably five months. Wow, oh, he started in the spring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah, so he's he's brand new to LA, and he's probably looking at you, and be like, "Is this is this part of the course? Does this happen all the time?" <laughs> oh, it was uh, it was surprise. Uh, it was surprise for us as well. Yeah, in LA, we never had the cyber incident like that. But one thing can tell you. Uh, if you are not safe, nobody's safe, uh, especially in education. I think this is something can happen. It can happen to us as well. Uh, actually, the med, the, there are a lot of statistics that tells you if you have an incident, usually there is a 60-70% chance and that you have another one in the same year. Oh. Uh, we are very sensitive to be able to protect ourselves. Uh, one thing I would tell you, uh, you, this bad actor is specifically, they are famous for going after low-profile uh, target. They would barely go after a lot high-profile like us. So there are debates why they picked us. Um, are they changing their uh, structure? Are they want to become more uh, involved in this type of incident? Or no, they just made a mistake. It was a stupid mistake. They didn't know who we are or what size we are. And reality is, they spend money. It wasn't like they did this for free. Uh, when did you spend? When you want to do this type of thing as a uh, cyber criminal organization, you have resources. You have uh, they have financial analysts, they study organizations, and at the same time, they do a lot of reconnaissance. They go through your system. They go to the market. They buy things, and they try to break into your system. And in our case. Uh, it didn't pay off. So if you call it ROI, the ROI was <laughs> So um, uh, from a feedback standpoint, from from uh, parents and students, I saw a post on Twitter uh, a couple months ago. I believe it was, I'm not going to name a name because I'll, I'll probably get it wrong and I don't want to mess up. But there was a school district, a relatively large school district that had a ransomware incident and they recovered pretty quick. But there were a couple days downtime. And one of, I think it was their CIO posted on Twitter that when kids came back, they started receiving hand-drawn pictures and notes and and uh, thank you, more or less thank you notes from students saying, thank you IT department for working so hard on getting getting the school back and getting us back here at school and, and fixing things. Um, what what was your experience like from a from a parent? aspect from a student aspect from a from a faculty standpoint i know you said that everyone was pitching in and assisting um if you could talk about that that feedback or that buy-in support from those those key critical folks 
Uh, thank you. I uh, I received a lot of support. I mean, uh, there were text, email, communication, walking even in the elevator with other people uh, that they were impacted with the cyber attack. Uh, it was nonstop. I mean, people that they left or retire. I mean, people that, that they went to other organization, people that they are not even with us anymore. They, it was uh, it was very support. Uh, very very well supported um, the public comment yes when you read the you know, one thing I would say, tell you when you're in the middle of the, this type of incident it's easy for people to point a finger and blame oh you did this you did that you didn't pay attention to this you didn't pay attention to that but the reality is uh, we survived number one if we would have failed that would have been the totally different conversation uh, and probably blame uh, blaming pointing finger would be much more than what we received after this way but with that we still receive uh, pointing finger and blaming and everything else but the reality is we survived we recovered we restored and the, the student back in the classroom that's number one and we learned a lesson uh, and we want to share that lesson with everybody to be able to recover and make it resilient system not to be really uh compromise with this type of a bad actors uh, because it eventually it's going to happen. It is just matter how you mitigate the situation and how you contain it to not to become catastrophic. Like some example of other school district, they ended up shutting down. And you think shutting down uh, is, is a critical part? I think that there could be much worse when you lose 30 years or 20 years, 30 years of critical information that you're keeping in your system to do AI analytic projection or graduation for a student that they are on track and everything else. Losing that information, you are it's a harm for those students that essentially now they're just riding in the rail without the conductor. And that's, that's not easy, yes, the same year, same teacher has those information You that the student graduate to next grade. What do you have to support the next teacher to support that the student is nothing when your information now up in the air and encrypt? Yeah, I, I think we were kind of off to the side watching uh, the situation in LA. And I think there's the public reaction and there is, you know, when there's tweets and social media around what's going on. There's also kind of the 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 behind the scenes conversation, right? The folks like us who are in the industry watching things. And I think generally speaking, those of us who are in the industry were both very impressed that A, LAUSD did not close. And and you showed very, very high expectations for how this should be handled and, and how you should respond to this. Uh, and B, the other response was, if this can happen to LA, this can happen to anybody. Uh, so it's it's very heartwarming to hear that you're you're taking your roadmap and you are uh, sharing this with the community. You are coming onto our 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 podcast today to to talk about what you experienced to to share the lesson and, and hopefully uh, help another just prepare for for something that could happen. So so thank you so much, Suhail, for uh, for for joining us today. Sure, thank you, Mark, and thank you all of you guys. Uh, you're doing a good job sharing this information. Hopefully, one day we can go more detail about the uh, areas of the security and uh, probably in the confidential way. Oh, and we're going to share that with other school districts to make sure, again, 
when we share, we want to make sure we don't uh, give information out to the bad actors, but it's being used by the good actors like you and the rest of your team. Of course. Yeah, yeah so. we need, there needs to be a, 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 a website that like vets users so that you can share, you, you know you're sharing that data or that information with vetted individuals who are in the industry they're not a threat actor. Um, I look, that's something that's needed in this, in this industry. I think that would make that, that job a little bit easier. And, yeah. uh, to some extent, um, I, um, uh, probably need to share with you guys, um, FBI has a, uh, structure called InfraGuard, uh, yep. and it encourages you yes. to be a member of the InfraGuard because that's where, uh, to some extent is uh, protected. It's more vetted people are part of that. Um, and mainly because uh, you need to do the full background check to be part of that conversation and share. Yep. Yeah. We appreciate your time. We don't want to keep you any longer. Um, hopefully the fire department put out the fire that they were going to. <laughs> uh, we, we do really appreciate you being uh, as honest as you were tonight and being a good neighbor in the future with uh, you know, sharing that framework with everybody when it's done, hopefully in a confidential manner. Um, any any closing questions, Mark, Chris? Favorite pizza? Favorite pizza? <laughs> you want to get, oh, I don't know. Uh, Boston, this does, you have pizza, pizza in Boston, Mark? Yeah, we've had we we've got some pizza here. Yeah, oh, you gotta okay. you gotta come over here. We'll we'll take you. I'll take you to the north end. It's okay. The Italian section of Boston, you get the best pizza you'll ever have. Okay, I didn't know that. But if it is, I go with pepperoni. That's where you go. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. much. Thank you. As we wrap up part two, we want to thank our sponsors for making this happen. Let's talk about Visor. That's V-I-Z-O-R. A recent NBC report revealed that a school district in Virginia lost 1,800 Chromebooks. That's quote-unquote lost uh, for a total loss of over $500,000. Auditors said that the district failed to have a process to monitor device collection when a student was withdrawing. That was a costly mistake, of course. So Visor, V-I-Z-O-R, helps districts manage Chromebooks and other IT assets by automating best practices within their schools to avoid those kinds of situations. If you're interested in learning more about that, you're going to go to this website, visor.cloud. That's V-I-Z-O-R dot cloud slash K-12 Tech Talk. That's us, visor.cloud slash K-12 Tech Talk to get up to 20% off. You can learn more about them. Other sponsors, we got Fortinet. You can email Fortinet Podcast at Fortinet.com. They got your Forta Gate, your Forta EDR, your Forta Token, and whatever else Forta. They are the leader in cybersecurity solutions and services. Also, Extreme Networks, a proud sponsor of the K12 Tech Talk podcast. You can email Dominic there, dmayer, that's D-M-A-Y-E-R, at extremenetworks.com for your networking needs. He can help you with specs. Also, look up their work with the Super Bowl. Provision Data Solutions. You got a Windows Server issue. You got some networking that needs to be upgraded, a problem you can't figure out. Get a hold of Provision Data Solutions. And then somethingcool.com. You can reach out to Jeremy there. That's Jeremy at somethingcool.com. And you can check out their cybersecurity offerings in the link description. MFA.